The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Thursday PFTOT. In other words, we make Chris work a little bit longer before he launches into his three-day weekend. I have a feeling you've got an unbuttoned coming up later today, so you're not entirely done uh, but we got several different topics we want to get to, things we could not jam into the show today because we've been limited to 90 minutes over the past few days because of the Royal Ascot, which is fine. We will always stand down for actual sports, especially in the pandemic. And it's the pandemic that gives us our first topic on PFTOT. Because of the coronavirus, the NFL is considering, and this is according to NFL media, expanding practice squads from 12 to 16. My reaction to that, Chris, is it makes sense. But they better be ready to do a lot more than that. Because I just think yeah. four extra guys on the practice squad is not going to prepare you for an outbreak on your team. They better have a bunch of guys ready somewhere. And I've suggested, you know, like what the XFL did, they had one entirely separate roster of players who were practicing and ready to go in addition to the eight teams that they had in the league. So there's 32 teams in the NFL. The math is simple. Four rosters should be out there practicing, ready to go with players who are kept away from other teams. And if someone gets coronavirus, if there's an outbreak, you've got players available that you can replace 5, 10, 15, 20 if there is a massive spreading of the coronavirus in any one roster. Yeah, I mean, Mike, certainly I agree with just about everything you said. And yeah, it's the first thing that crossed my mind when they went 12 to 16. I just thought, I think you're going to need more than that. I do, you know, and to this specific point, you know, of course we know this can be a highly contagious, you know, virus and everything like that. But to the reason I would think you need more than 16 is, you know, you got to be careful of a whole position group getting wiped out. Right. So you can't just go, okay, I got 16 guys and, you know, one or two offensive linemen and one or two defensive linemen and then two or three linebackers and then a few secondary guys and a few wide receiver guys. What I'm worried about is like an offense, the offensive line for the New York Giants, they all get wiped out. It's somehow it's in their meeting room for whatever reason. And all of a sudden it's literally like, wait, no, four of our starters or five of our starters can't play. What the, what did the New York Giants do? So to me, that's where like, there has to be real depth with guys ready to go. It can't be just like, oh, we have one or two guys here just in case. I don't know if one or two guys just in case is going to get it done if this virus does catch on to a football team or a certain position group, like I said. So those will be my concerns. I'm with you there, Mike. They're going to do their best to keep guys separated during meetings, and there's going to be outdoor meetings and virtual meetings and whatnot. The concern I have is – when you have a 22-man scrum on a football field on a Sunday, Thursday, or Monday, and if there is one guy that slips through the cracks positive and that virus spreads around, and of course it's more than 22 because you've got substitutes and backups and the punt team and the punt return team and the field goal team, and you've got all sorts of people in that space during a game, and then you find out five days later as both teams are getting ready for their next game, 
that half of the roster is positive, that's my concern. What do you do? And I think back to 1987, back when your dad was playing, Chris, the players went on strike. The NFL quickly put together 28 rosters of replacement players. They need to be ready to have guys who get injected onto these rosters. And those guys need to be ready too, because if you're a veteran who's healthy, you don't want some guy that's just off the street that's been sitting on his couch for the last three months. That's why I think there's an urgency to have a pool of players who you know are ready, game ready, plug and play, just like what the XFL did. That's what this needs to evolve to. It's going to cost money, and that may yeah. be one of the reasons why it hasn't been mentioned yet. But just expanding a roster and, and, and having four extra guys that you got to worry about when you're trying to keep the virus out of your locker room, right? Do I really want to have four more guys? And, and this leads to the next point. Yeah, I've right. heard the teams are thinking about taking fewer than 90 to camp, 75 or 80, because they don't want to have all those guys. And then the question becomes, who do you cut before camp even starts? You're not cutting your draft picks. You're not cutting your starters. I think the middle class is going to get affected here. You're going to have guys making three, four, five million a year who get their walking papers before training camp, and the young guys have maximum opportunity to prove themselves win those roster spots, save the team some money, and save the team the hassle of having 90 guys floating around for four weeks. Well, that, that's certainly a real possibility. Now, the teams that do that, though, you know, the, the concern I would have or the thing I would challenge there to throw the challenge flag is, yeah, okay, you know, you, you might have saved a few million dollars by, like you said, cutting some, you know, proven veteran football players. Man, are you going to really roll the dice on the year of COVID-19 of no OTAs and really no young player, rookie player, second-year player development, getting better, anything like that? So the teams that do do that, you know, that's fine. But just don't expect me and Mike to stick up for you week five when you're 0-5 and you're going, well, we did this. No, there's no excuses. We're going to crap all over you and go, no, you decided to save money. And now you're losing games and this is your issues and we're going to tell you why. So that would be the big thing too, Mike. And I, you know, I just want to address one other thing you said about like signing guys off the street. You know, that's real too. If I was an offense or defense alignment, you know, first off, you have to worry about the health of players too on the field still here. And if you're a right tackle and all of a sudden you have a right guard who hasn't played real football starting in a game next to you and having to block some guy like Fletcher Cox or Aaron Donald, one He's going to be a danger to the guys next to him. He's not going to be in football shape. He's going to be off balance. He's going to get tired. And anybody that knows anything about scouting or building a football team, especially with those type of guys, you don't want guys that are on the ground a lot. Guys that are on the ground mess up the design of your plays. They usually fall on other players on your team and hurt them too. And that, that would scare me. That definitely would. So uh, I, that's why I think to your point of having guys that are ready to go and in game shape is not only critical for the, the viewer and watching the game and the quality of it, but I think it is about protecting the guys that are actually there playing too, that you're not next to some guy who's just not physically ready to be out there. Yeah, when it was the replacements in 1987, who cares? They're all replacements. They're, They're all, all replacements. cannon fodder. Right. They're all Rudy's, right? Now you're going to have Rudy lined up next to the guy that's making $15 million a year, and if that guy screws up bad enough, he's going to get the starter injured. These are real concerns. That's why I'm telling you, what they need to do is have 
four separate rosters, hire a retired coach or a guy that's been fired like a Hugh Jackson that's out there looking for something to do to supervise practices, keep these guys in shape, keep them healthy, have them ready so it isn't a guy that you are basically scraping off of his couch with a spatula and saying, we need you to play in two days, which is what they – this is just the stuff they have to be ready for. they got to be ready for every permutation. It can't just be, we'll see how it goes, we'll make it up on the fly, and we'll deal with it when it comes. You don't want to cancel games. You do not want to cancel games. And the best way to avoid that is to have enough guys ready so if there is an outbreak that wipes out 15, 20 guys on the roster for two weeks, you've got the players who can walk right in the door and who are good enough to not compromise the the guys who are out there on the field. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. I was just going to say, you know, the other thing, too, that just kind of popped into my brain, you know, here as we're having this conversation, and you kind of talked about it like, yeah, we can test. You can have all this going on, but then we still got a 22-player scrum on a Sunday afternoon and things can get passed along too. you know, where does, where does the NFL draw the line off the field for the players too? This is something, you know, in the NFL on a Friday afternoon and you're home, you're the home team, man, for most players in football, what does that mean? That means family members are coming into town to, watch the game or be with the family as they watch the game. And I listen, I know that traveling and there might not be fans in the stadiums, but I, I still worry about, Hey, maybe in some States where they're not taking the virus as seriously as others. Now you got some grandma or grandpa or your father and dad coming into town, you know, Hey, yeah, we're not going to the game, but we're going to watch the game here at my son's house with his family. Why my son goes play football. And now you know, who knows? Do they bring a virus into the house that starts to go to the team? And like, those are the things that I worry about too. And I wonder if the NFL has to like step in line there to go, hey, players, no outside visitations this year, whatever it may be. I'm just throwing stuff out there that's been popping in my brain. Yeah, no, look, this whole, and it's good. And again, when we throw this stuff out there, we're not rooting against football season. We're not hoping there's no football season. We are trying to do our part to to provide just our insights on the things that they maybe need to consider. And I understand they've got people who are hired and paid specifically to do this, but I haven't gotten a whole lot of confidence that, and and maybe they're just keeping their plans quiet and they want to be flexible, but man, I mean, if anything, some of the developments in recent days make me think that uh, there's going to be a lot of, of let's just see how it goes and let's hope for the best. And uh, I don't know that that is an effective plan. One of the plans that really wasn't something that anyone anticipated happening this year for the NFL, this movement by the various teams to make Juneteenth, June 19th, the commemoration of the freeing of the slaves, a holiday. And most of the teams have done it now. The league office was one of the first entities connected to the NFL to do it. It's the right thing to do. It's overdue, but it's better late than never. The reason we mention it, though, is Washington is doing it, and Ron Rivera communicated the decision, and this text message, email, whatever the specific format was, was obtained by J.P. Finley of NBC Sports Washington. I want to read some of this from Ron Rivera, and I want to tell you what my theory on this is. Ron Rivera communicated the decision on Tuesday, explaining that an internal town hall discussion gave him new perspective on many of the societal issues that have been highlighted and learned a great deal after hearing all your stories, experiences, suggestions about how our organization can make a difference in helping to make our community safer for people of color. 
Rivera added that the town hall that they held in the organization is only the beginning, and we still want to hear your suggestions on how we as an organization can take action in the fight against social injustice and police brutality. So on Friday, June 19th, Rivera challenged all of the employees of the organization to take the day to reflect on the discussions this past week and dive in and do some research to come up with additional ideas, additional ideas we can implement to improve our community. Now we must put our minds together and take the next step in creating programs to fight this battle. That's Rivera's message Ooh. to the team. Wow. And Chris, there's two options here. Yeah. There's nothing in between. Either Ron Rivera, when it comes to the dictionary defined racial slur that is the name of the team, either he is completely and totally tone deaf or this is his way yes. of trying to build something organic, internal, yes. that takes on a life of its own and that leads to the inescapable conclusion, Dan Snyder, that the name of the team must change. I am hoping and I am assuming that that is who Ron Rivera is and that that is what Ron Rivera is doing. I have reason to believe he's been made aware by people outside the organization of the urgency to change the name. And I, I again, hope and assume and give him the benefit of the doubt that he's not tone deaf, that he is using this mechanism as a way to begin the conversation and have it bubble all the way up to the owner's office. Yeah, right. And then doing it internally in the organization to where they could talk about it, brainstorm, come up with the good ideas, whatever it may be. And then hopefully you're right. That filters to Dan Snyder and he goes, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And I got support in my organization and they want to do it. All those things, you know, first off, I'm with you, you know, not that I know Ron Rivera real well, but the few times I've been around him, he's one of the nicer guys in football. I think he's very self-aware and aware of the times and what's going on and sensitive to all of those issues, you know, without, yes, maybe trying to throw his owner totally under the bus. That is the guy that employs him and do that. But I think this was a nice political way of kind of starting the conversation without really starting the conversation. And I think that's very smart of him. And something needs to be done. It would certainly send a strong statement to the world, to our country, to people of color, uh, everything like that, uh, if the Washington Redskins would, would change that name. You know, I think it's really cool. We had two coaches yesterday, Ron Rivera and Anthony Lynn, you know, kind of put a stake in the ground a little bit. And I think say some things without being too boisterous or or making headlines, but still making a point of Colin Kaepernick. And then I think Ron Rivera is trying to say, hey, we need to start brainstorming. If we're going to talk about racial divide in our country, we got a little racial issue with our team name right here. And we need to start fixing our own issues. Uh, before we start, you know, diving into the whole society and all that. Daniel Snyder clings to the 2016 Washington Post poll that found that 90 percent of self-identifying Native Americans who were polled are not offended by the name 10 percent are, which that's a separate issue. Is 10 percent OK? I don't think it's OK for 10 percent to be offended. But even then, there have been attacks on the validity of that poll, the accuracy of that poll. Someone who self-identifies as Native American may not be truly Native American, may not be truly part of a tribe or part of tribal activities. And there was a more recent study 
posted by the Cal Berkeley website, and Ron Rivera went to Cal Berkeley, so it's not like he's just going to dismiss it, that shows that the more, the more thoroughly you identify as Native American, the more likely you are to be offended by that term. And there have been other attacks on that Washington Post poll. And I mention that because I have reason to believe that is the first thing. That is the go-to. That is the knee-jerk reaction anytime right. the issue comes up. Well, the Washington Post poll in 2016 said 90% are defended, so we're fine. We're fine. We're good to go. So I think that's part of what Ron Rivera has to push against. And I think the wisdom, if this is what he's doing, Chris, the wisdom is you know, what's our knee-jerk reaction anytime someone from outside of our bubble attacks us? We, we hunker down. Don't tell us sure. what to do. We know what to do. If you can make the question come up from within the bubble, right, and it's not someone on the outside trying to tell you how to do your business, you never want somebody yeah, right. who's part of your business telling you how to do your business, right? I don't like it when people tell us how to do our show who aren't part of NBC. If you're part of NBC, that's your job. That's your business. Mind your business unless you're part of my business. And I think that's what Rivera is trying to do. If he goes to Ron Rivera and says the employees of your organization aren't comfortable with this name, he's provided them a platform to come out and say they're not comfortable with the name. Hopefully they have the courage to come out and say they're not comfortable with the name if they truly aren't comfortable with the name. And this becomes the ammunition for them to get to where they need to be. And when we see what's happening, Aunt Jemima, gone. Uncle Ben, gone. People are realizing. I mean, they're adjusting the Virginia logo because of the the, the, the piece on the, the handle to the sword has a connotation right. to slavery. I didn't even know anybody know I didn't know about I didn't even know it was a thing. Right? If yeah. things like that are changing, it's time for the NFL. It's too late to get ahead of it. It's time for the NFL to catch up with everybody else and this is the way to do it. Yeah, get ahead of it. And I mean there there's gotta be another nickname or or something that we could use that could be, you know, more glorifying to Native Americans and tribal use and whatever it is. I mean, can we brainstorm and find something that works for everybody? I mean, I, I would like to think we could do that and have a little bit more of a positive connotation around the name and all of that. Yes, I'm with you, Mike. The time has come. You know, and again, that's another one where you know, I'd like to see the NFL, like Colin Kaepernick, kind of push the issue a little bit with Washington and, you know, put a little little hot poker right next to Dan Snyder's butt to get this thing rolling. It is amazing to me that 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 word is out there in plain sight and a dictionary defines slur. And I think the only reason it survives, number one, fans somehow can compartmentalize the two and not think of it as a dictionary defined slur. But secondly, it, it doesn't get used as a slur that's what's weird about it it's a slur that doesn't get used as a slur and i mean i look at it this way native americans have been so marginalized in this country they don't get slurred right yeah i mean it's they just it's like they're not even there we we have taken the people who were here when the europeans colonized the united states long before it was the united states and they have been just kind of completely shoved out of society. So, uh, except for the fact that the name of the Washington franchise is a hiding in plain sight racial slur. And people ask me, well, what about Chiefs? Well, Chiefs isn't a slur, right? Chiefs is something for another day. Now, the the headdress and some of the things that, that misappropriate the culture, that's problematic. Yelling Chiefs at the end of the national anthem, 
should be problematic, should be more problematic than conscientiously kneeling during the anthem. But let's start with the slur. Let's figure out where the line is after that. But wherever the line is, a slur, a racial slur for the name of a team, surely is on the wrong side of the line, Chris. Yeah, and, yeah uh, you know, no doubt. I've been saying this for seven years. The name's eventually going to change. And maybe it'll be 50 years from now until the name changes, and then they'll argue for 50 years that the name shouldn't have changed. But 100 years from now, I'd like to think sooner than that the name is going to change. I'd like to think it changes sooner than 100 days from now. But it, it really is a blemish on the preeminent sports league in America. And it's amazing to me how many people are willing to yell and shout and scream profanities at anyone who would dare say the name should change. Yeah, well, that's just ridiculous. And, the, you know, those people are just, they're, they're closed-minded, they're insensitive, you know, they're not seeing the bigger picture. And I think, Mike, the, the best point you make is, yeah, we've pushed the Native Americans to so many little small corners of our country that, yeah, they're not a part of everyday societal life for most of us in Americans. In fact, more times than not, when you meet somebody that tells you, you're like, Oh, I have 4% Native American or something like you're like, whoa, really? That's that's unbelievable. Like you're you're amazed by it. So, uh, yeah, they've been squashed in a lot of ways here. And uh, I'm with you. Let's just keep keep fighting the good fight. Maybe we can get this done and continue the pressure on, on Washington. And and here's the thing, and I understand that the people out there who want me to shut up don't know me very well. The one thing you need to know is the more you try to get me to shut up, the more inclined I'm going to be to never shut up and I won't shut up until the name changes and if anybody has a problem with that it's their problem not mine all right one postscript on a story that we've been covering this week we did not mention it in PFT live today but it is very intriguing and this is one of the unintended consequences for Mike Gundy of wearing the one America news t-shirt creating an issue within his organization and the the first non-apology apology that he did with Chuba Hubbard, where Hubbard was the one who apologized and Hubbard shouldn't have apologized. He had nothing to apologize for. Then the second apology, which looked like a hostage video, that dusted off an incident from 1989. And Alfred Williams, who was playing for the University of Colorado at the time, Gundy was the quarterback at Oklahoma State. Colorado beat Oklahoma State that day 41-17. to And Alfred Williams on KOA Radio in Denver yesterday made it clear doubled down on a claim that he made at the time in 1989 after the game that Mike Gundy was hurling racial slurs that start with N at multiple Colorado players. Gundy denied it at the time. Williams Williams said that he went on the the post-game radio show with the Colorado play-by-play guy and and said it then. It was in the paper the next day and Williams said yesterday it, it was said, I'm 51 years old, I have no reason to lie. I didn't back down then, I'm not backing down now. And every time I see Mike Gundy, I want to run through him. So a lot of passion there from Alfred Williams. Now again, Gundy denied it. And uh, I don't know what he's going to, I don't know if he's going to have to do another hostage video. But if I'm a player on Oklahoma State and I catch wind of this, uh, and I already had concerns about Mike Gundy, this isn't going to give me less concerns about Mike Gundy, Chris. Yeah, no, it's not. And I mean, come on, for anybody to think like Alfred Williams would make that up, come on, are you, are you insane? Like, that's, that's stupid. He's never made any accusation even remotely close to that to anybody else he played with in the NFL, anything. You know, there's lots of, he's, 
He's a really great personality, fun-loving guy. You know, you watch old NFL films videos of him talking to John Elway on the sidelines. Like, come on, everybody. Like, of course he said this. And, yes, at the end of the day, Mike Gundy can only blame himself. You know, should have stuck to football, stick to being a coach, not making political, you know, statements with a stupid T-shirt and a stupid news network. I don't know the way to say and, it. And, and again, open- and again. It's okay to have political views, but when your political views align with a network that espouses viewpoints that are contrary to the interests of black Americans and the bulk of your team is young black men, that's when it becomes a problem. It's not the fact that he has a political viewpoint. It's the fact that he's supporting a news network, and he's the one that came out and said in that hostage video he's disgusted once he realized the way that One America News deals with Black Lives Matter, the organization that that has been a huge part of the movement that's currently happening. So, you know, I don't care what your politics are, but when it goes to a fringe that undermines the interests yeah. of the of the very people that you are earning millions of dollars off of and they're not getting paid, that's when they have every right to stand up and say, we've got a problem with this. He's, he opened up Pandora's box, right? And she came out and she goes, oh, we got a lot of stuff in this box here. Well, start letting it all out. And Alfred Williams is letting it out. And I think we probably will hear more stories as we go along. But yeah, you know, this, there's, there's no one to blame here. You know, you don't, I, I don't want to hear that. Like, oh, here we go. You know, society trying to self-correct and do all these things. And play. No, there's issues here. We're taking them head on. And, you know, because of this and that situation, yeah, it's going to bring up. And now everybody's going to be looking to dig and find anything on Mike Gundy to see or or find out if he's ever done or said anything like this before too so yeah he's got a big bullseye on his back right now and uh it's going to be interesting to see if he can survive this whole year at oklahoma state it was 31 years ago it was right that's fair to point out it's factual it was 31 years ago it doesn't matter it was a bad word 31 years ago it was a horrible word then it's a horrible word now right and he wasn't 13 Right. Right. He was he was an adult when he said it. Now, here's what he said at the time. It's not true. They were doing the talking. Why would I say those things? I've been here four years and half my friends on the team are black. It makes no sense. That was Gundy then. You know, will he even address it now? I don't know. And 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 please, let's not go. Oh, it's cancel culture. Run amok. And Florio has a vendetta against Gundy. Look. Gundy brought this on himself, and it all began with his team standing up and expressing their concerns. And if none of that had happened, this story that's been out there for 31 years doesn't come back again now. Alfred Williams isn't talking about it yesterday. Shannon Sharp, who talked about it yesterday on Undisputed, isn't discussing it. It was out there. It allegedly happened. Yes, Gundy denied it, but... It's, it's part of this broader narrative of whether or not he truly has the sensitivity, truly has the sense of equality and fairness that justifies making $5.1 million while coaching a team that is made up of a majority of young black men who don't get paid for their efforts. It's a fair question for those players to ask, and this is fair information for them to factor into their deliberations on whether or not they feel comfortable playing for Mike Gundy. Period. Yeah, period. No, there's there's a culture of that in college football anyways. It's a, a little bit of like, you know, for lack of a better phrase, the good old boys network where 
There's a lot of coaches who I don't know are necessarily qualified to be leading young men and being the face of a school or a university of higher learning and whatever it may be. But, you know, they're there because, you know, they were friends with the AD or the AD and the school president or other powers to be involved in that university. They like drinking beer with that guy. <laughs> I've had a lot of good beers with that guy. He's great. I'm going to let him coach the team now. Yeah. Okay, great. Great that he's a good beer drinker. He's just a jerk of a human being other than that. Oh, okay, no problem. Great person to lead young men. There's certainly a culture of that in college football. There is a lot of that. And uh, it has always bothered me. And I think this is a, a pretty good example of it right here. And for all the issues in the NFL as it relates to the hiring of minority coaches, college football has been much, much worse over the years. So uh, just just uh, food for thought and continuing a story that we weren't looking for, that we didn't start. This wasn't a social media attack on Mike Gundy. The attack emerged from within his very team. And, yes, social media was the platform. But but so what? Social media is just the tool for people to express themselves. It drives me crazy. How many people out there want to dismiss social media by saying it's just this bastion of left wing ideas? It tells me, Are number you kidding one, me? you don't pay. Are you yeah. kidding me? If, uh, yeah. The if right anything, wing what dominated I've, social what I, media. What, the right wing dominated. What I've experienced no, the last stupid. three weeks, yeah, right. I don't see a whole lot of left wing. I see a whole lot of attacks on the things that we say that, that skew progressive, that ultimately I don't care about left or right. I care about right or wrong. And right. in the aftermath of George Floyd's murder, Chris, you and I have been committed to right, not wrong. And it's amazing to me that even something as basic as right or wrong can become a political hot potato. No, I, I'm with you. Yeah, listen, I've never, I never identified myself as Republican or Democrat. You know, yeah, I, it's full transparency. I don't look at it like that. I, I usually, in my history, have voted for the person that I thought was best for our country and the person I liked the most. I did not vote for Donald Trump, the last presidency. No, but it wasn't because he was a Republican. You know, I wasn't thrilled about Hillary Clinton either. I probably would have voted for John Kasich maybe if he was the Republican nominee. I don't know. So, but yes, I'm about America and treating people better, making America better, making the lives of a lot of people in this country who, yes, are not as privileged as us white Americans are and haven't been given the benefit of the doubt with so many different things that go on in our culture. I'm for helping, trying to help those people have more of a life uh, that that's better for everybody. So, yeah, I, I don't get that. And I'm sick of the political stuff. Um, yeah. OK, right now I lean left a little bit because I don't I don't agree with everything the president says. And I am a guy that's very much into the environment, as you know, and that's just a little opposite of what the right thinks right now. But it doesn't mean I'm like, oh, I'll never vote for a Republican ever again. That's the other issue. We got to get out of this country like this is my side and I don't ever leave it. Uh, no matter how many good facts you give me, like, stop it, everybody. Like, let's get the facts and then determine where you are from there. But right now, nobody can ever say they're wrong or readjust their thoughts. And it's troubling. This entire discussion flowed from the realization from three and a half weeks ago that based upon the manner in which law enforcement officers, not all, but some and too many, treat black Americans, uh, it shows that there is not a true sense of equality and that there is systemic racism. And these are things that we are finally dealing with that white America isn't just saying, Oh, that's a shame. That's horrible. That shouldn't happen. And then going back into the bubble of our day-to-day -day lives, 
we are spending time educating ourselves about the struggles of black Americans over the years. And trust me, the struggles didn't end with slavery. They just changed. They continued in all sorts of forms and fashions. Strong resentment in the South in the decades that followed because the slaves were freed and the South lost the Civil War. And I think there's still some of the resentment down in Come the on. southern states when in the aftermath argue, of the Civil War. When then people argue there's no systemic racism, I want to go, wait, are you kidding me? In Mike Florio's lifetime, black people weren't allowed in certain colleges in our country. How do you think that's going to work for the advancement of that culture when you're not allowed to go to some schools because of the higher learning? But you don't think there's a systemic problem like that's insane in the membrane. OK, and you're, you're I'm starting to get pissed off. Look, so let's end the l- segment. Listen, l- l- let me let me let, let me I got two more things to say. I got two more things to say. Look, the, the majority has looked down on minorities and different ethnicities ever since the country was founded. I live in an area where. A hundred years or so ago, when the Italians were coming over to be sent underground to work in the coal mines or sent into steel mills because nobody here wanted to do those jobs, so they lured the Italians and other Europeans over, there are deeds in the county where I live that prohibit the sale of that real estate to Italians. I mean, there was open, blatant discrimination against Italians sure. in the area where I live. And in the hundred years since then, we've taken over, so uh, take that. But um, uh, Bill Russell— the, the great uh, NBA legend, he had a quote earlier this week in an item he wrote for Boston Globe magazine, and, and I'll leave you with this, Chris. This is from Bill Russell. Let me remind you of the unfulfilled promise, the one right there in the Declaration of Independence. All men are created equal. They are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I've been waiting my whole life for America to live up to that promise. That's Bill Russell. And that says where we are. And folks, set aside your politics and ask yourself, is there true equality in this country? Look yourself in the mirror, search your heart, search your mind, search your soul, do some research and ask yourself, is there true equality? And if there isn't, and you're the one of the ones pushing against it, why? Why Why are you? So, uh, all right, Chris, that's it for today. Enjoy your weekend. Happy birthday to Charlotte. We'll check out the new edition of Chris Sims Unbuttoned coming later today. I'll be here tomorrow with Big Cat for another edition of PFT Live. All weekend long, all day long, every day of the year, profootballtalk.com. And uh, we'll see everybody back here on Friday. you the man, Mike. See ya. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.